Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. Delighted to have you. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, glad to have you with me. I, I want to start with a story that I really don't want to talk about, but have to talk about. A newspaper publisher told me a while back that uh, the story that drives down ratings, the story that drives down newspaper sales, the story that no one wants to talk about is the drug crisis because everybody's affected in some way or knows someone who is and nobody wants to hear about it. They know how bad it is. So if you spend a lot of time covering it on TV or radio or in newspapers, your subscriptions plummet, your your viewership, your listenership, everything goes down. It's very interesting to hear newspaper, uh, TV and radio people talk about this because it's something they have to cover, but they cover as delicately as possible because people are depressed by the story, understandably so. I, I slept in this morning. My buddy Joe Cunningham, he's on KPEL in Lafayette, Louisiana, 96.5 over there, uh, worked with me at Red State. He had a text message waiting for me. This is the most important story of the day, he thinks. And I read it, and I think he's right. This is in the Washington Post. Cause of death. Washington faltered as fentanyl crisis gripped America. Now, before I get into the story and I wrote about it, I wasn't going to write a morning piece. And I read the story. It's like, yeah, this this needs circulation. This needs uh, breath in this. So let me tell you, and this is from another story, and I can't put my finger on the story. I know where I got it from. Uh, and I just, I, I wasn't able to track it down right before the show. It's, it's stuck in email somewhere, the excerpt, but let's step back for those of you who use or have used marijuana. It is not typically habit forming though over time it can be. And the people who say it's not tend to dismiss that. And in fact, uh, marijuana at this point, if you're into concentrates and things like that, is very, very potent and can cause problems that the marijuana of the 70s, 80s, and even the 90s did not. Also, cocaine. Now, I'm I'm not a user. I know people are. I'm kind of stunned at how common it has become. And high success, um, high net worth people, hard charging people, and college kids who have a lot of money, mommy and daddy's money. It's their drug of choice. I guess cocaine where some things like like mellow you out, it amps you up or something, makes your heart race. I don't know. Listen, the last time I went to uh, the the emergency room uh, and it was a blood pressure issue, but it was related to the stuff in my lungs, they were lecturing me on cocaine and stuff. I was like, I promise you can drug test me. I have not used this. Um, being in the media, I mean, it was kind of crazy. Their natural presumption was that. It's like, no, I promise you can drug test me, blood test me, whatever you need to do. This is not an issue for me. From what I have been told by those who do it and are clearly addicted to it, your your first or second dabbling of this stuff, it's not going to get you, but it's going to make you, it's going to make you more susceptible to addiction without itself becoming addictive until you've used it a couple times and then you can't stop. Nowadays, it's laced with fentanyl so that you absolutely can't stop. Methamphetamine from the 1990s and even the early 2000s, it was highly addictive. It rewires your brain. It, it literally is some of the worst stuff you can use. 
but you use it once and you're probably not going to get addicted per se, but become very susceptible to and want to engage with it in the future to the point that you can't stop once you keep going. I say all of this to say this. Fentanyl has become the drug of choice. And methamphetamine of 2022, like fentanyl of 2022, are drugs where you get addictive, addicted the moment you use them. Let me reset this for you so you understand my point. There are many drugs from marijuana to cocaine where you could use them once and not get addicted. Marijuana you can use frequently and not get addicted. Fentanyl, you use it once, you will never stop using it. The fentanyl that is being illegally brought into this country is so addicted, d- addictive that heroin is no longer a problem in the United States. The United States does not have a heroin problem anymore because fentanyl outperforms heroin in terms of the high it gives and the addictive nature of it. And unlike heroin, there is no drug you can take to counteract what fentanyl does to you so you can never become unaddicted to fentanyl. The methamphetamine being made today illegally and brought into this country is the same way. You use it once. You will sell your child to sex traffickers, sell your home and your car, quit your job, live in the gutter, and prostitute yourself multiple times a day to get the money to buy these drugs. That's how potent and powerful they are. If you want a real impressive stat to drive at home, during the COVID crisis from 2019 to 2021, Fentanyl overdoses surge 94%. 196 Americans die every day. For perspective, that's a fully loaded Boeing 757 crashing and killing everyone on board every day. Cheery stuff, huh? The point of this Washington Post story, to put this crisis in perspective, is that it's a crisis of government. Government is broken. It is a bipartisan crisis. Now, I need you to step back because I, when I, I wrote this this morning, I saw this reaction from people online. Their immediate gut visceral reaction was, you can't blame Trump. You can't blame Trump. He wanted to build the border wall. And, and the Washington Post is trying to say every president from Obama, Trump, and, and, and Biden is to blame. Just listen to me here. As the Washington Post correctly points out, neither Obama nor Biden took seriously the issue of securing the border. And Donald Trump did. And fentanyl can come across and the meth comes across the border. The coyotes 
the men who will round up people and bring them across the border, will direct illegal immigrants who have paid them for safe passage into the United States, will direct them in a way that distracts Border Patrol agents, and they all get rounded up. The coyotes fail in their mind, but the whole purpose of the coyotes was actually not to get paid by these people to bring them in. It was to use these people as a decoy. So when they all go to the right and the Border Patrol goes after them and captures them, the drug dealers go to the left and sneak into the country. Securing the border as Trump wants is a good thing. As the Washington Post points out, however, most of the fentanyl and the meth that is coming into the country is coming in passenger vehicles and commercial trucks passing already through checkpoints. And the Trump administration was so invested in building the wall, they weren't invested in putting additional resources into the existing Border Patrol inspection sites to root out the meth and the fentanyl. It's a bipartisan problem. The larger issue is that the bureaucracy of all sides is failing. Even though the presidency changed to Donald Trump, the underlying bureaucracy of the Department of of Homeland Security, of Health and Human Services, of the DEA, of the FBI, and the like, they didn't change. He didn't clean house. And those bureaucracies are becoming more insular, more insulated, more unwilling to work with each other. It is a serious problem. This again from the Washington Post. President Donald Trump took office just as the fentanyl epidemic was about to explode. He promised to build a wall along the U.S. southern border that he said would stop drugs. But Mexican Mexican traffickers were sneaking fentanyl right up through the front door, hidden in passenger vehicles and commercial trucks, passing through official ports of entry in California and Arizona. Today, the partisan border debate in Washington remains fixated on a physical structure that is virtually useless for stopping the deadliest drug U.S. agents have ever faced. Since President Biden took office, his administration has amplified a public messaging campaign to warn about fentanyl's mortal threat. One pill can kill. He stepped up efforts to improve scanning technology at border crossings and repair a broken counter-narcotics partnership with Mexico. But with Republicans blaming Biden's border policies for record numbers of immigration arrests, the president and many of his top officials have said little about the skyrocketing amount of fentanyl entering the country. It continues to enter at an escalating rate even as Joe Biden is president and talks about it. We have a problem on our hands. I've mentioned this before, and it is a notable point yet again. In the third century, Rome was in crisis. The Praetorian Guard were assassinating the emperors. Emperors were assassinating emperors. The army was assassinating emperors. Every couple of months, there was a new emperor. But Rome did not collapse even though it was in crisis because the Roman bureaucracy kept the wheels going. The Roman courts continued to operate. The Roman judicial system and and prosecution and prison system continued to operate. The Roman tax collectors continued to operate. The Roman food distributors and food collectors and food processors continued to operate. It was a crisis because of political instability at the top, but within the Roman bureaucracy, The bureaucrats continued to keep things going. In fact, Gibbons in his uh, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire cites as one of the key sources of the failings of the Roman Empire, Christianity. 
a lot of people have read Gibbons to suggest he had an unbiting hostility towards Christianity. That really wasn't his point in the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. His point was that it used to be service to the empire was the highest and best use of someone's son. So that person that son would go into the empire and serve as a bureaucrat and make sure the taxes were collected, the food was collected and harvested and distributed, and the people of the empire were served. It was the highest and best use of a nobleman's second son who wasn't titled, wasn't going to get anything, wasn't going to inherit, go into the bureaucracy of Rome. You could get a little greedy on the side, make some money for yourself, build your own family, but you were responsible for the glory of the empire. And because you were responsible for the glory of the empire, you made sure it worked And then Christianity came along, and all the smart young men who were going into the uh, empire or bureaucracy for the glory of the empire suddenly were going into the priesthood for the glory of God. And so the smartest and best were leaving the bureaucracy, going to the church, and the stupid people, the incompetent people, they took over, and the whole thing began to collapse because the church was drawing the smartest thinkers of the day to it away from the empire. Our bureaucracy is collapsing. It doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. It doesn't matter whether the administration is Democratic or Republican. The underlying bureaucracy that services the federal government and is supposed to be nonpartisan has become partisan to its detriment. But more than that, it's become territorial and tribal. There's not a lot of good coordination. There's not a lot of good crosstalk. There's not a lot of good cross-implementation. There's not a lot of good working with each other. Everybody's tribal. Everything is a fiefdom. Everything is a bureaucratic fight. People try to justify their jobs at the expense of the whole picture. And no one who is legislating or the executive, the elected officials, are working on it to make bureaucracy work. Our bureaucracy is failing us. In the process of the failures of that bureaucracy, things are becoming worse across the whole of the United States. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is unable to track overdose deaths of fentanyl in real time. Its published data is one year behind, obscuring the picture of what's happening on the ground in 2022. The agency continues to count the death toll for 2021 in a provisional tally. Additionally, some of the data is kept closed and secret. So the agents don't know the patterns. They can't see the hotspots. San Diego, we know, is ground zero for fentanyl trafficking. But where it goes and the effects around the country are increasingly difficult to navigate because the DEA doesn't talk to the White House National uh, Office of National Drug Control Policy, doesn't talk to the Department of Homeland Security, doesn't talk to the Centers for Disease Control, doesn't talk to the DEA, and the circle is complete and Americans are dying. What amounts to a Boeing 757 full of passengers crashes and kills everyone on board every day in this country because it is very easy for drug dealers to get a highly addictive drug into this country because our government mouths that it takes the threat seriously but does everything possible to ensure the threat is not taken seriously. This is not a story about fentanyl. This is a story 
about an American government that needs serious reform because it has gotten too fat, too outdated, too sclerotic, too in need of a shakeup that has not yet come. That's what the story really is about. And when every child, young man, young woman, and grown person dies of fentanyl every day, there are two stories running through their death. That of the collapse of civilization around them, impacting the collapse of our government, and that of a drug trade that is able to come into this country because of the collapse of government tied to that collapse of culture and civilization around them. Decline is a choice. And we seem as a government of the United States to have made the choice to decline. And that should be unacceptable to every one of you, regardless of who you are or what your political values are. A friend of mine and I were discussing Bolin Branch sheets the other night when he was sitting on the front porch with me. And he didn't believe that they got softer and softer every time you wash them. His wife was not convinced at all. She figured it was all marketing hype. Now she wants Bolin Branch sheets for all of their beds at home. Why? Because they really do get softer every time you wash them. They're free of toxins, pesticides, harsh chemicals at every step of the process. They're the finest 100% organic cotton on earth. They're made by artisans who earn the pay and the respect they deserve and right now you can bring home a better night's sleep this holiday season with bowl and branch bedding their signature sheets even come wrapped and ready in a beautiful holiday gift box it's going to look good it's going to feel great for a limited time get 20 percent off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use promo code eric at bowlandbranch.com that's bowlandbranch b-o-l-l-a-n-d branch.com promo code is eric e-r-i-c-k at bowlandbranch.com Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of the program, we can laugh about the nanny staters and some of the crazy things they do, but uh, Ajit Pai, the former chairman of the FCC, put this out today, very funny, on this date. Uh, and to timestamp this for you, if you're watching later, it is December 12th, 2022. On this date in 1980, Apple had its initial public offering, the first day it sold stock to the public. Shares sold out quickly. It was the largest IPO since Ford in 1956. But the state of Massachusetts banned individual investors from participating. Regulators said the offering was too risky. Think about that. Uh, this this is actually, this is the write-up from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, in any case, Massachusetts investors will be excluded from any market play in the stock. In Boston, state regulators said the offering is too risky and barred sale of the shares in the Bay State. The decision affects individual investors, but doesn't extend to financial institutions, which are presumed to be sophisticated. Boston is the headquarters of several large mutual fund complexes and banks. Under the Massachusetts ruling, the Apple stock falls short of several provisions aimed at weeding out high flyers that don't have solid earnings foundations. Unless the state later decides otherwise, stockbrokers in Massachusetts won't be able to trade the stock and Massachusetts residents won't be able to buy it. Wow. Let's see, one share of Apple stock at IPO value today. Um, that's impressive. Um, 
Wow. Yeah, so if you invested $100 in Apple's IPO, um, you would actually have from just that $100, um, $67,564 today. My goodness. There you go. I want to tell you guys a little about a group I've been working with, Americans for Prosperity. Maybe you've heard of them. They're the largest grassroots network in the country, fighting to expand freedom and opportunity so that we can unleash prosperity in America again. Here's what I like about Americans for Prosperity. They focus on building movements at the community level, not Washington, D.C. That's actually how I first came to know them, in Georgia, helping rise up the Tea Party movement in 2010. They understand we're not going to find solutions in Washington. we got to take power out of Washington That's going to have to come from Americans like you outside the Beltway bubble. That's why I'm excited to partner with Americans for Prosperity to provide an effective platform where we can talk to our fellow Americans and advocate for solutions to the most critical challenges facing the country. I encourage you to learn more about Americans for Prosperity by going to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Hi there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here uh, across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I guess it would help if I looked at the call screening program because I totally forgot to open it. Y'all, listen, I got to be honest with you. Um, My brain is already in Christmas vacation mode, as I suspect some of yours are as well. Um, I'm just like, so shouldn't say this on the radio. This is going to get me in trouble, but I'm going to tell you anyway, because I keep very little from you. I went to the grocery store yesterday. God bless my local grocery store for hiring people who have some disabilities, but I was checking out. Have y'all ever seen the show Zootopia? It's the Disney cartoon and it's what the rabbit or whatever. and, And there's the scene where they go to the DMV and the DMV is run by the sloths. And the sloths are, how can we help you? And it really is a, like, visible, like, representation of going to the DMV. So the kid who was doing the bag, the, the, the groceries yesterday, very, very nice, moved so slow, I felt like I was at the Zootopia DMV. Like literally, I'm. I think everything is is packed up, and I'm I'm about to push off. And he's like, "Wait, there's more." And he's still begging, and he doesn't want the young lady who's actually doing the register to help him. He wants to do it. God bless him. Um, totally support it, but waited and waited and waited. Wow, it was it was it was something. Um, just everything is slowed down, and I'm in. I am in. Christmas vacation mode where I'm slowing down. It's like my brain is suddenly like, like going off. And the crazy thing about this, and, and I actually want to spend some time on this later is I got up this morning, started doing show prep and it's the same stories over and over and over. It's, it's more about Kristen cinema. It's more about Victor Bowden and Brittany Griner. It's, it's more about inflation. It's it, we're even back to COVID and people are still complaining about Twitter. It's like, there's no major news headlines today, except if you know where to look for them. And, and there actually is some out there, but this also gives me more time to spend with you guys too, on the phones at 877-973-7425. And I want to spend a few minutes with Jason. Welcome to this program, Jason. How are you doing? Good. How are you? 
Not too bad. Um, I was listening earlier, and you were talking about more of the monuments being taken down, and it occurred to me, when in the he- when is the Democrat Party going to push to change their name? Because wasn't it the Democrats that started the Civil War? They were the party of slavery. Uh, they institutionalized yes. it. Uh, all of those statues, all the statuary that they've removed, they were all Democrats. They were. From my memory. From my, and uh, I just keep wondering, when, when, when are they going to just go full out and just you know, uh, be forced to change their name? Because I, I find the name Democrat, Democrat Party, offensive Listen, it, of, it, of its it, association it, with such a dark period of our history. It, 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 the, the, the very idea of the Democratic Party scares me. Um, the party of, uh, that actually put people in chains. Uh, it, it should yes. it should scare everyone. Um, it, it's it's a nightmare, and they they've left Andrew Jackson on the twenty dollar bill there, who was their their party leader. They had big parties up until a couple of years ago. Uh, only when Donald Trump became president did they stop celebrating uh, Jefferson Jackson dinners. They're not even sure they can celebrate uh, Thomas Jefferson anymore because. He was a slave owner. I, 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 but you know what happens, Jason? I mean, in, in all honesty, uh, the Democrats, with a very straight face, even though it's not true, say, well, everybody flipped, and all the Democrats who supported slavery are Republicans now. They're already doing this on COVID. I am not kidding you. In the common tongue, I poop you not, if you know what I mean. The Democratic Party is already literally arguing that actually the people who supported lockdowns were Republicans. I'm not making that up. They actually say that. They actually argue that. The, the, the people who who embraced school shutdowns of those were all the Republicans. They, 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 they do this, and because the media is on their side, the media is on the side of the, of the slave-owning party, of the Democratic Party, uh, they, they get to say these sorts of things. It's you're, you're right, we should. All those statues being torn down are Confederate Democrats who left, and, and it was Republicans who freed the slaves. Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. I'm just saying, y'all may want to quibble with the details, but I mean, it's even the Republican Party that wants to allow your kids out of the the, the um, mental slavery of a public school system. You back the party. If you're a Democrat, you're back in the party that wants to keep all the poor kids in failing public schools instead of giving them away out. I, that's, that's just the truth. You may not like it. That's the truth. There is one other story out there that I wish to talk about today. I actually have a number of things. So y'all don't want to leave because actually probably, and this is no hyperbole. Seriously, this is not hyperbole in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I wanted to talk about the fentanyl story because I actually think in the here and now, it actually is the most important story. But I'm going to start the show next hour with what is quite possibly and no hyperbole intended, the most important news story of the millennium. For the next thousand years, it may actually be the most important news story. In the here and now, it's not that quite a big deal. But over the next thousand years, it is quite possibly the biggest news story of them all. And at the top of the hour, if you will stick with me, I want to talk to you about it. Before I get there with that sort of buildup, I want to talk to you about this. Real Clear Politics has this story up. It's commentary by Bill King, and it's tied to Kristen Sinema leaving and actually... There is a growing number of people in this country who identify completely as independents. 35% of respondents in a survey polled 
identified as independent, 12% identified as other. That's a total of 47% compared to 26% for Republican, 27% for Democrat, which is always so. Gallup asks Americans about their party affiliation every month. In 2022, identification as independent or other averaged 44%. Now, you got to be careful there because that 44 to 47%, some of them are libertarians, some of them are Green Party, but between 35 and 40% are always fundamentally independent. Now, what's noticeable about this is that if you look at a place like Arizona, in Arizona in 2010, 36% of voters identified themselves as Republican, 32% as Democrats, and 32% as independents. In 2022, 35% identified as Republican, 31% identified as Democrat, 35% identified as independent. Now, if you put the trends up based on the population growth, the number of Republicans, even though it went down by 1%, the total number of voters increased by 27%. The Democratic increase, even though it went down a percent, identified as a 27% increase of total voters. Independents, 42%. Now, there are a couple of things you need to know, by and large, nationally, more people still consider themselves independent than Republican or Democrat. A lot of people who are regular Republican voters still consider themselves independent, and a lot of people who consider themselves regular Democrats consider themselves independent, even though they vote regularly Democrat. But when you weed that out, the data also shows something else. Over the last 20 years, escalating over the last 10 years, before this preceded Trump, this was headed into Obama, Independent voters have been skyrocketing. Now, some of you will immediately have your inclination be, well, I guess maybe it is time for a third party. No. A third party is not going to work. I know some of you want it to work. Here are the problems at a basic level with the third party. First, ballot access. It is highly expensive to get ballot access. The Republican and the Democratic Party may hate each other, but they hate independent parties worse than each other. And so together, the Democrats and Republicans and the duopoly of party have ensured that it is very hard for anyone to get ballot access who's not a Republican or a Democrat. It often involves complex signature collection efforts in states, sometimes down to you have to have so many people per county and you have to have a different notary for each page of the votes and it becomes very complicated to do. It is is very hard to do this. That leads to the next problem. To do so, you got to have a lot of money in the campaign finance system. doesn't allow you to raise that level of money as an independent for a ballot collection effort, which leads to the next part, which means you got to have a bajillionaire to do it. And when you have a bajillionaire doing it, the independent party begins to reflect the values of that billionaire. And as we have seen from people from H. Ross Perot to even a guy like Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos, billionaires tend to be fairly quirky people who have, in many cases, lost touch in various ways with uh, the locals. And uh, they're surrounded by yes men very often who steer them in certain ways, which in that capacity thereafter caused them to create parties that aren't aligned with anyone else. Look at Mike Bloomberg and his campaign run for president of the United States. 
Mike Bloomberg really did not do a whole lot of anything good. He spent a whole lot of money and didn't get any bang for his buck and lost the Democratic nomination in the process. Just a weird dude to begin with. Whole lot of money there. And very nanny status, believes that the government can be used to control your individual behaviors. And the state of New York let him get away with it, too. That's what you get when you get these large independents. So the the larger issue here is not a third party. It's the parties, the Republican and the Democrat, finding ways to lure the independents to them. And when you actually do a deep dive of the independents, what do you find? If you gave them generic Republican versus generic Democrat right now, they actually lean Republican. The problem is that the Republicans also are kind of crazy these days. Independents don't like them. Look at what happened in Arizona. There's a big profile today of Carrie Lake and how she lost her governor's race. She came very close to losing, but she alienated a lot of Republicans and at the end of the campaign was actually encouraging McCain Republicans not to vote for her, and they took her at her word, and they did not do it, costing her the election. So what is she doing now? She's running, uh, building a lawsuit and running a campaign on the stolen election, just like Trump. In fact, in this deep dive analysis with interviews of people from her campaign, the Washington Post essentially admits she's a true believer on the stolen election stuff, that she can't have a conversation with people about how to proceed without them acknowledging 2020 was stolen when most of them don't think so, and even the ones who tell her it was stolen don't. I mean, that is the dirty little secret for a lot of you who still think 2020 was stolen. Many of the very people who are telling you it was don't actually believe it. But it's a grift. You send them money because they tell you what you want to hear. People are sending her money still. It's become a grift. The sooner the Republicans break away from the grifters, the better off they will be for progress, the better off they'll be, because the data is actually there. There's a comprehensive failure of the parties right now to lure in independence. The Republicans actually did a very good job of luring independence in this time when they got away from stolen election candidates. The independent voters want to be catered to. They recognize the prestige of being an independent voter. They want to be wooed and wowed, and the party that does it the party that's going to win them. You might as well start fighting for them, Republicans. But to fight for them, you got to offer them some things they view as common sense. You can offer them some ideology in the process. You can even offer them a pro-life platform. But you cannot offer them crazy. If you offer them crazy, you're going to lose. Americans for Prosperity has actually been doing a lot of research on how to lure independent voters to the right. And their data could be yours. You could learn more on how to persuade independents, on how to grow, how to actually become a better activist by joining Americans for Prosperity. What you do is go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. And you sign up for them. They've got local chapters. They're not a Washington, D.C. think tank. They're more of a do tank. They go out into the nation and states and they do the work of being a conservative. They build up grassroots activists. They teach you how to be an activist. They provide you all the information you need to sharpen your arguments. They teach you how to be a good activist, how to go to city council or the board of education or uh, even your, your state or senator or state representative and talk to them about the issues 
and educate them. They provide a great show of force on the ground for conservatives. They're growing the movement. They want you to grow with them. Go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Really great group. I'm glad to be part of them. Glad to be on their advisory board, americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Welcome back. Remember, text the word data to 33777 and subscribe to the daily email, if you would. I'm reaching out to Senator-elect, current congressman and Senator-elect Ted Budd to see if he will come to the gathering in August. Should be a lot of fun. Um, Have a great group lined up. You know, there's some buzz now about Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, and whether or not he is going to run for president. Um, I've already reached out to his staff a while back and asked him to come, whether he runs or not. Such a good guy. Um, he certainly has, I think, the voice of the future of the party. Now, uh, I, I got I to gotta talk about a story that is is personal for me. <laughs> the federal tax rate on distilled spirits is three times the rate as on wine and more than two times the rate as on beer. And Max Baucus um, is, well... He's, he's kind of misguided. He's uh, one of the, the senators out there who is trying to realign the tax code. And this letter in the Wall Street Journal I find very interesting. The federal tax rate on distilled spirits is three times the rate on wine, more than two times the rate on beer. Some spirit producers contain wine as part of their formulation. Section 5010 rightly taxes the wine portion of the wine rate instead of the much higher spirit rate. Additionally, some spirits produce... Uh, products induce alcohol-based flavorings under Section 5010. Spirit products don't have to pay the spirit excise tax on any flavoring that makes up less than 2.5% of the product. There is no parity in the beverage alcohol tax. I just find this very interesting that the tax code does that, and everybody in Congress is confused as to how they should reprioritize this. We have a uh, really broken code. Uh, Max Baucus, the whole reason this is, is a topic is because the Wall Street Journal ran an op-ed by him. He's now a lobbyist. He was a senator. And he basically, he says this, U.S. taxpayers have been subsidizing the production of cherry vodka and orange maple whiskey for no apparent reason. Uh, the Section 5010 tax credit is an example of the innumerable special interest credits and deductions that literary tax code. It provides a benefit to distillers who blend spirits products with wine and alcoholic flavorings. Wine and liquor suppliers advocated for the passage in the 1980s, but the rationale for giving preferential treatment to flavored liquor is lost to history. And actually, uh, what actually happens is that the percentage of the product that is just a liquor is taxed at a liquor rate, which is higher than the rate for wine, which is higher than the rate for beer, which is higher than the rate for for non-alcoholic products. So if you have a product at 100%, that's liquor, except 2% of it is an, an, a flavoring. The portion that is a flavoring is taxed at a 2% rate. And then everything else is taxed at a ridiculous rate. It, does this make sense to you? Because I, I can explain the breakdown for you, but the, the point is that our tax code is so cumbersome and so littered with these sorts of little tax gimmicks 
in addition to the bureaucracy of our government failing at basic enforcement of laws and keeping us safe, our tax code has become too cumbersome for anyone to be able to understand it. We need to start a new tax code. The whole thing is just crazy. Our government has gotten too big and needs to be reined in and made more efficient, streamlined, and get rid of all those IRS agents.